Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Mindset Nebula, where we talk SAP, design, tech, and pretty much anything else that's interesting to us. So today we have a very interesting discussion teed up with our guests around the topic of sustainability. One of the biggest key messages that came out of Sapphire earlier this year was really this, this huge focus on sustainability from Christian Klein. You know, slowly over the year, SAP has started to roll some of their thoughts and leadership out in this space. And so today we really wanted to talk about this, this entire program. We wanted to talk about it from the SAP perspective. We also wanted to talk about it from the industry perspective. So join us on the podcast today are three experts who are really going to lead this discussion around how important this topic area is, not only now, but in, in the, the years to come. So with that, first up, our guest for today, we have David Krishnapillay. David is currently the Director of Operations for Grand Prix Graphics in Asia. One of David's key focus areas is really bringing visibility into the sustainability initiatives of packaging production companies. Uh, welcome, David. How, how are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Doing great. It's going to be a going to be a nice chat today. Next up, we are joined by Emete Tanakari. Emete currently serves as the project manager of outsourcing in Nigerian breweries, and she has the responsibility to deploy good governance and human rights and social sustainability for both internal and external employees in line with the United Nations Global Compact for Business and Human Rights. Emete, great to have you here today. Yeah, good to be here too. Hello, everybody. Yeah, thank you so much for joining. Last up, but certainly not least, is Edmund Manarik. Edmund is Mindset's internal sustainability guru and principal architect. Edmund has also been a professor in the information systems and analytics throughout his long SAP career. Uh, Edmund, this is actually your first time on the podcast. Welcome. How how did you get by this long without joining us for one of these? <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So with that, you know, we have we have three very esteemed guests here today. And um, just to give a little bit of a background on on each person here, I wanted to give you all just a couple minutes and kind of go through your background and your focus within the sustainability topic area. So um, anybody who, who wants to kick it off, go ahead and, and give a quick introduction. How about David? <laughs> My formal training was uh, in engineering, electrical and electronics, um, to be precise, and uh, started in software. And uh, this was back in the days, uh, if you can believe such a time, software was not um, the hyped up thing. Hardware engineers were the real heroes in most companies. So I kind of accidentally went into printing when a printing company here has just invested in computer system because this was the time when the graphics for printing was getting computerized and got stuck there. Uh, and, uh, but having said that, I also then parallelly worked in other areas, in, in healthcare imaging, uh, print production, um, and so on. So um, it has been a long journey. So. I would say primarily uh, my focus is on uh, applying engineering uh, methods, techniques for solutions with a solid IT skill set. So it's interesting. I, I went into this printing industry because it was getting computerized and I had the skills. And that's what I see in most other industries. Uh, 
computers used to be that afterthought in many or, or, or the, uh, uh, the, the sidekick for many industries uh, who thought that, uh, yeah, there is that uh, room that with those few people, uh, but uh, it has now come to take center stage. So Especially in the manufacturing space, right? <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Very cool. Amete? Okay. Okay, thank you so much, um, Jonathan. So about me, um, I started my career um, as a business and administration specialist. I'm working in the sales division, and I got into sustainability about, um, well, I say 10 to 12 years ago. First, um, looking at uh, more of an environment and um, climate, and a bit of, of a community. But for the past um, three years now, I've focused more on um, sustainable, uh, social sustainability, looking at um, work conditions and um, human rights for workers in um, general. Sustainability, as we speak, is um, such a very big topic. It has so many um, pillars, so it's something interesting. And every individual can play a role in ensuring that we make the world a better place. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. And then Edmund. Yeah, no, I, again, thanks thanks for having me. And, and again, just kind of reaching out to, to Dave and em, David and Emite. Uh, I think in their, their quick introductions of kind of underpinning their, their backgrounds. I mean, I know David was a former uh, COO a uh, long time uh, in, in the industry, implementing SAP and being responsible for the operations of the organization. So we'll, we'll definitely keen from some of those uh, experiences and kind of leveraging that into uh, the, the SAP and sustainability world. And, you know, Emite, your, your comment of just it's such a global big challenge across for everyone. You know, I know with Nigerian breweries or I guess you're the breweries of, of Heineken as well. Also, you know, an SAP shop to a certain degree as well. And a lot of, you know, kind of global recognition to some of the challenges there. So uh, again, thank you. But yeah, a little bit of, about my background, you know, I, I was, uh, you know, in the, in the, you know, SAP space for, for going on three decades, you know, I, I started, um, you know, the SAP world in, in SAP Germany and in, Waldorf, in, in um, originally as, as an R2 consultant and back in the mainframe. So it was all very, you know, technology. So I, I became a financials consultant. So a lot of the focus uh, was part of the SAP Platinum Consulting Group in the U.S., and part of those challenges was just really, you know, being an advisor to many of the very first uh, accounts out there. And then, you know, really did a lot of implementations, um, full cycle implementations, moved from the financials realm into basically the, the analytics side. So a lot of my work in finance has been around um, reporting, reporting analytics, um, product costing, uh, profitability analysis. So that, that was a natural kind of movement in, you know, I would say towards the late nineties when data warehouse was coming out there. Uh, so I focused really my next de decade or so into the, the business intelligence, business analytics world, enterprise performance planning and forecasting. Um, and then really, I would say for the last, uh, you know, close to decade or so, um, doing a lot more roadmap strategy work in, in the SAP space. So uh, again, trying to create the value proposition um, to first and foremost, why should you 
um, implement certain tools? What 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 kind of capabilities you need to? And what's the value for for putting that and helping quantify that? Um, and then then ultimately, you know, as uh, S four Hana and Hana got released, I was lucky to be part of some of the very first implementations of Hana and uh, S four for that matter. So really went back into the product um, and did some of the very first implementations in, in S4. Um, so that's going back to 2015. So really worked through different iterations of S4. But where, where does that kind of come into play when, when you know, I, I, I joined Mindset? It was a really nice, uh, Mindset was really focused around the, the customer experience, usability aspects. So where sustainability kind of comes in place it really is very pervasive, as Emete mentioned. Um, so we, we created um, a task force to really focus around sustainability and how does that work and the value proposition of you know, implementing, implementing solutions, but at the same time, how to embed sustainability measures into that. So you know, we've been doing quite a bit of um, uh, research as well as conversations with a lot of different customers to 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 get some um, mindset in this space and see how we can help and try to figure our focus. So again, my background came from you know the, the tools. As Jonathan mentioned, you know I've been a professor for for a couple of decades as well, kind of teaching focused around data and data analytics, and again just trying to parlay both kind of the enterprise world the data world, and then how to embed the sustainability aspects to, to really hopefully make, make a difference. So again, I'm excited, excited to, to, to take on some of this challenge and help where I can. Yeah, definitely. And, and with that, you know, we, we have a lot of topics to, to really try to get into today. And I think, you know, from, from some of what you said, Edmund, was really where, where our, you know, mindset sustainability focus really, really sets the stage. And that is, you know, we look at SAP just from an overall business perspective. I think they they tout that what almost seventy percent of the world's business transactions get transacted through SAP. And so there's whether that's raw materials and, and getting into the manufacturing space that that David is really a part of. Whether that's more of a, a global human rights perspective from an HR perspective, where MTA really focuses in on. I think you know as as part of the program and part of the research that you've been doing, Edmund, it it's really trying to see where we can fit the best and where we can help our our people and customers really make sure that this is a focus area. And so, just just wanted to bring up. I think as a you know, as a research point for you, Edmund, um, and I think Emmett, you, you had joined as well, but there was a, there was a UN event uh, just a couple of weeks ago that yeah. really focused all around sustainability. Um, talk, talk about kind of what the, what the focus was there and, and, and what you kind of learned out of that event. Okay, great, great question. Um, for me, the UN event was, I think it was very good that it happened um, at that time because we had um, speakers, head of government, and um, several corporate um, executives attend the session, and a lot of uh, a lot of things was um, discussed. Top of mind, what came to me was that it gave us the platform to establish our commitment towards um, our climate goals, as well as our SDG um, goals. So, for example, the Africa strategy uh, was launched. And there was also a lot of talk with respect to um, gender and in inclusion and the uh, LG, which are focused on the LGBTQ 
plus um, community. And um, a tool, a reporting tool was launched that um, companies could use as a guide to access um, themselves and also support their process into fostering um, inclusion. And oh, for me, my personal takeout was um, with respect to the commitment made by the heads of government towards putting in policies and um, procedures in their countries to um, support um, climate um, actions. And this is very important as we go into the COP26 and discussions later in the year. Just, just to add to that, I mean, it was such a fantastic event. You know, I, I was really, you know, being an attendee or participant at the United Nations kind of climate event that, you know, was tagged with uh, the overall um, launch of the United Nations in a quarterly event. You know, you're starting out with these heads of states, you know, I'm just a fly in the wall and, and kind of hearing the, this global drive of where do we need to happen? Uh, or what do we need to, to you know, what, where do we need to go to, 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 to make some difference? Um, you know, on the flip side, you know, I, again, just trying to put my, um, you know, accounting hat in there. There's some very, very specific facts out there. And, you know, there's $120 billion chain reaction that can happen by 2026 if companies and organizations don't focus on it. That's the cost of, of where, you know, every day happens there. And then, you know, at the same time, you know, when we look at the, the trillions of dollars of potential economic benefit by just becoming more sustainable and the number of jobs that can be created, I think some statistics from IDC was saying, based on the focus in this area, there'll be 65 million jobs. So having said that, you know, we, we as an industry, we as uh, humanity, we need to evolve you know, our capabilities in really looking at, you know, enterprises and how do we integrate the business operations where sustainability is not just a sustainability plan, but it is an absolute organizational business plan that allows and focuses with, with our heads of state. Having said that, there, there has to be innovation that's going to make the difference. You know, we can make conscious decisions on, on which way to go but there is going to have to be some incredible breakthroughs that we work together uh, from an innovative state. So, but yeah, that was a fantastic event. Met, met a lot of people um, to hopefully partner and collaborate throughout, throughout the world. Yeah, that's, that's great. sounds like a, I mean, it sounds like a really inspiring event Do in, in these, in these conferences or these, these sessions, do they really get to that tactical level to, to talking about this or they're setting kind of the global stage for, What's, what companies and business partners and you know, even consultants like ourselves can focus on in the future? Is, is that kind of where they, where they sit? Um, I think they do both. So first they'll set the global stage. And then um, with respect to ta taxes, they have um, different um, coalitions in almost um, every country whereby um, participating um, companies get together to discuss how to achieve um, these targets. In addition to that also, they also have um, tools that um, have been launched on their websites where anybody that is a participating uh, member can download those tools and um, put it to practice. So um, by uh, creating these enabling platforms, companies don't have to start reinventing 
um, processes or tools. You could just pick it up and um, begin to um, work with um, what is available. Oh, that's great. That was cool. Um, mm. So coming from the event, you know, that kind of sets the global stage for us a little bit. And I want to switch gears a little bit and bring bring David into the conversation here a little bit. And um, when when we talk about this within an SAP context as well, we're really talking about, okay, how do we run, right? How do we run SAP in a sustainable manner? How do we set up our operations to be able to do this? And I think a lot of your manufacturing backgrounds, that's that's kind of where you've you've focused with within this space. So you want to talk a little bit more about um, you know, the, the operations side of, of how SAP is, is set up to do this? Um, yes, uh, Jonathan. So, um, I think if I if I may sort of talk about it um, in three stages. Um, first, uh, to be honest, you know I'm, I'm, I know you guys are quite involved with SAP, and I'm, I'm happy to Edmund. You're probably the the first one I've uh, met who was involved in SAP from R two days. Uh, when I got in, R three was supposed to be ancient, and uh, uh, we were at the uh, the next level, the ECC five, I believe. So, um, um, so, so the, the 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 pure joy of the discovery of the SAP solution. Um, it was a nightmare for some. I would say many of us because it forces you to structure and rethink your whole operation. You cannot sort of load whatever your legacy system and that stuff onto SAP and run. So one of the things a few of us quickly realized, so there, I was there with some decent background in IT and uh, another guy who had just come back from a two, three years stint at JP Morgan uh, in New York in analytics. So few of us, uh, although we did not know anything about SAP, pretty soon we realized what it can do and uh, the opportunity it gives for really re-engineering your workflow. Um, so I would say that's what some of us, including myself, focused on right from the beginning in, in um, uh, enabling the operations and the ground level people on that. So it was quite a wish list at the beginning and uh, the consultants were able to do some of it. But uh, to be fair, why, as you will know, a lot of the SAP installations sort of end up in a uh, lot of hardware in the early days, right? You cannot get anything done. And why do I have to do A, B, and C? I used to do it with one click. But that's the, uh, that's the cost you pay for a solid, um, for the solid integrity of the system, which you realize the benefits later. Uh, so we stuck with that. And in the process, we upskilled our core team um, and got them good reading material and then really went on to a situation because um, it was interesting. There were about six, seven companies in, in Sri Lanka around that time, some big garment manufacturers, all of them export companies. Um, another manufacturer of, uh, I think, heavy-duty tires, including aircraft tires. What we saw was all of them were sort of 
uh, regressing into a finances only mode and letting go of the operational uh, uh, structures that were set up in SAP. So in, 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 you know, in, in crude terms, it, it became a matter of do with your paper and pencil, whatever you want to write. End of the day, somebody puts the transactions in SAP. So we decided not to go that route, uh, but to keep to the original vision and then, uh, and remember, printing is a different business. It's not make to stock, it's make to order. And within that comes a lot of challenge. Every job, it has its uh, variants. And the print process itself is, it, it doesn't always go in a neat pattern from machine A to B to C to D. Sometimes you do some work in machine A, jump to C, come back to A for little more work and then go to the So uh, I would say, um, if I may uh, say a few key points that we did well and succeeded. One thing I really push for is um, uh, giving the freedom and, uh, and the agency for the operational people to take ownership of their transactions and the numbers. So uh, something that I used to quote is we give this half a million to a, a million dollar worth of machines. Every job you put like 10, 20, sometimes $30,000 worth of ink and paper. And once it comes out of the machine, there is no control Z, you cannot undo. Uh, and if we are trusting them with that, why can't we trust them with production confirmation, with flow stock management? Uh, with stock movement transaction, because uh, if these guys are given that ownership, they will do it well rather than interspersing somebody else into it. That went so well that uh, our uh, quarterly stock count and reconciliation, which used to have, I cannot give absolute numbers, but can I say, which used to be sometimes even 10 uh, or slightly touching 10% of the quarterly turnover, that kind of corrections, it came down to a fraction. Uh, wow. uh, and then people realized this is the benefit of suffering the pain in the early days of SAP. It puts a straight jacket on you. You cannot do any transaction unless you have, and until you have defined your masters and all the rules and all that and give the operational transactions to the people who are actually doing the production. So I would say uh, that worked very well, quite counterintuitively, because the general thing is these guys who run machines, how do they teach? How do we teach them SAP? It's better to give them um, you know, pen and paper and jot down whatever. But we know that uh, things have a way of averaging out over the day right so we may have uh, wasted 20 percent material in one job and only five percent in the other but end of the day it all comes down to the average because you know you are not entering then and there so i would say um, that was the biggest challenge in the beginning and i'm happy that we stayed on message and pushed it um, so that uh, uh, it became people took the ownership i would say although we did not realize at the time Eventually, when the sustainability program 
started uh, coming in and still more in, uh, in, in an aspiration mode than uh, so much a, a full-blown implementation. Um, we realized the benefits because uh, how do you measure? So you improve on only what you can measure, right? So if you haven't learned how to measure for efficiency, uh, to reduce wastage 10 years ago, not so much with sustainability in mind, but with the bottom line in mind. Uh, but it's the same rule. And uh, once people know the tools, know the methodology, have got the discipline, then it transfers pretty well into the sustainability goal and the, uh, the, the process to achieve them as well. Yeah, I so that that's really interesting because even even just a couple of years ago we ran into a customer where you know we were walking through the manufacturing plant and we we saw you know exactly as you described right the four or five people working in SAP uh, nowhere near the manufacturing floor <laughs> and people would run pieces of paper back and forth and saying okay now that I've used this material I've used this here's here's the numbers you go enter it into SAP <laughs> um, so it was, it was exactly that and and you know we were able to to get some quality management systems in place and a little bit more uh, real-time tracking with with devices on the plant floor that we could actually do this real-time and get those KPIs as they happened versus, you know, maybe, oh, I forgot to enter something from yesterday. What piece of paper was that on? And then it gets lost, right? <laughs> but yeah, in, in implementing SAP, you know, back and forth, it's all about that initial integration, right? And if you're, if you're, wanting to use SAP for all of its benefits, that integration piece is really where everything lies. And so kind of sticking with that for, for, for just a minute, um, you know, a lot of the sustainability topics are really taking full steam right now, but, but you hit it on the head at the end there where people and companies and corporations are very worried about bottom line and wastage and efficiency measures have been a huge part of how, how do I manufacture better and how do I do it with less materials, right? If I don't have to buy as many raw materials, then obviously my, my bottom line increases. And that's being taken forward to the next step these days that says, this is now also something that I can track to make sure that I'm being corporately responsible as well for what I use and what I waste. And, and that I think is, is the big key now and the big change of being able to try to track that, right? Um, so it's just a huge area, but yeah, any, any other comments on, on that topic before we, before we move on? Yeah. I, I mean, again, just comments from, from both of you, um, so far, I mean, yes, we got to do our business. We got to run our operations. You know, we're focusing on our customers, um, you know, just, just as, as we are, but, you know, coming again from, you know, where your comment, if you have to be able to measure it to make any decision process, right? Um, where, where even though, you know, we started out, hey, a lot of people have aspirational goals. Here's your United Nations goal for energy usage, our, our goal for um, efficiencies of becoming, you know, choosing, uh, reducing um, carbon emissions. But you really need to embed what is now becoming the, the universal standard of the, the CO2E, CO2 equivalent for greenhouse gases within each of the business process. So, you know, again, coming back from how do you embed 
you know, I'm just like you would embed a machine hour calculation for that line unit. How do you embed, you know, the raw material aspect of that production cycle? How do you embed an overhead calculation? You know, just like the, what we did in product costing, where you're looking at what are those, you know, the, the bill of material and the routings behind that. You need to embed a very specific CO2E emission factor to every aspect to that. And that's why it's, you know, just, just as was David mentioned, it's, it's, it's hard changing your process, but if you don't embed that, then you're allowing decisioning to be made at the lowest line of, hey, I don't know anything about how, how green a certain raw material is based on a hundred different vendors. You need to be able to automate that, the capability to, one, embed that measure, but to know it's the right place to put it. So that's some of the challenges. Yeah, we have aspirational goals, but now it gets down to the tactics. How do you actually do it? And what I'm finding is that, you know, again, really focused on our customers. Everybody wants to do it, but it's so it's a static, you know, they, they measure um, here's where we are on overall usage. It, it kind of trends out for the quarter, kind of trends out for, the, for, for a certain period, but it's not real time. Um, the only way you can do it is to actually embed it into the enterprise, embed it just like you would in, in the, and that's why in the ERP uh, and, and, and for that matter, the, the whole um, uh, integration or the intelligent enterprise aspects where everything is, is pervasive, um, that's the only way we can really make the decisions. And then only from there, we can source properly, we can source um, to get more efficient, more green, embed the green line. But having said that, you know, from a customer focus, we've also, some of the recent studies have also said, if you, if you don't do that and you're not acting socially responsible, you're actually gonna lose your clients. So there's actually a risk, risk factor out there where you're gonna lose your, your client base. So it's not just where you're buying it, it's actually the downstream aspects of that in the whole supply chain that's, that, that's absolutely critical. Yeah, that's a good question actually, you know, more, as as we as we get into looking at that supply chain early on, you know, for example, if I'm looking to buy raw materials, I'm I'm needing to look at a lot of vendors, and I'm needing to do vendor evaluation. So, how um, is that something that we capture via KPIs, or how do we how do we measure, or how do we partner with those those vendors that we want to in those spaces? Okay. Um, I'll speak about um speak about this because even for you to know. For you to do things in this space, first you need to identify um, your value chain to find out from the beginning of the process who are the stakeholders involved, and for step by step um, to the end of the process, who are the stakeholders, and what is also the positive or negative impact of them um, carrying out your business. And by the time you've identified the positive and the negative impact, you find out you have to also look at how, who are the, who are involved um, in this um, process. So for example, if I look at um, maybe a sugar manufacturing um, company, uh, a simple value chain will start from agriculture, which is the farm. It goes into um, inbound, inbound logistics, gets to production, outbound log logistics, and it gets to the customer. So you could see that about five people or five stops involved in that value chain. And there are people or systems involved in each of those blocks. 
So if you look at agriculture, for example, you start looking at the farmers. And when you look at the farmers, first, you are looking at their labor conditions. And we've had instances of people, in some cases, using um, child labor. In some cases, um, people not um, being paid um, fairly or um, working um, long hours. So these are your stakeholders. What um, processes are you putting in place to reduce the occurrences um, of um, such things? But aside from the, uh, will I say, human interventions or the human aspects, you also have the climate um, aspect as well. So um, um, at the farms, what kind of um, agriculture and pesticides do they use? What kind of uh, fertilizers um, they use? And how does this impact on the environment and the climate as a whole? And for you to move things forward um, in this um, discussion, you need to work together with the people um, in, in this um, field. So you need to have a first design the process, then you build in, um, build in templates, templates that would ask um, specific um, questions um, to some of these um, issues and come up with a strategy to address um, these um, issues. And especially in the agricultural field, it's not something that um, corporates can do, can go alone. So you have an um, industry coalitions coming up together to address um, such issues as a group. Then uh, moving on from um, the agriculture into um, the customer space, you still have the same issues about um, welfare and uh, work conditions for people, and also um, things around about um, climate and environmental um, degradation. So for example, in um, taking your, your um, products to the consumer, what kind of um, transportation is, is used? Is this something that contributes a lot to, um, to um, carbon emissions? And what is your plan to, it, to measure it or to become um, carbon um, neutral in that um, aspect? Even for the people that work in that um, area, what um, process have you put in place or as, as organizations put in place to make sure that these people get their wages um, paid on time or are treated well? So uh, what we do working with vendors is, first of all, we have to, first of all, check that our contracts are clear to what um, the common objective is. So if, for example, um, you have like a contract that says um, in maybe cultivating, for example, maybe um, cocoa for us, these are the rules you have to follow. You have to use this kind of um, pesticide that um, attains to the standard. You have to make sure that um, your staff um, have X, Y, Z. So once the contract speaks to those things, then you can begin to check and you can also begin to measure. Because if you do not have the standard, then the, the will not, the will not, you will not be checking against anything and you just build talk, talk, talk. So first is for us to create that standard. And then we start uh, measuring our achievements against the standard. And in areas where there are differences or where there are gaps to close, we work together with the vendors to try to close those gaps. And as uh, we are all aware, um, this is a, an ongoing process. So it's not like um, I tick the box today and it is over. It is something that we have to continue to evaluate to make sure that 
um, all the things we are doing is in line with our plans. So working hand in hand, supporting the vendors, coming up um, with standards, uh, measuring the standards, it's an ongoing um, journey. And I think it's um, something that we'll have to keep doing. Yeah, no, I, I imagine, you know, that, that, was, that was great. Uh, I, I imagine along with this, in the, in the past, this has been really hard to evaluate, right? We're, we're not capturing all the right things to make these decisions from a vendor or a customer perspective. And I think, you know, um, Edmund and David, as we, as we go forward, the more data we can capture at each of these different stakeholder points and the more KPIs we put together around how we're, how we're doing our decision-making really sets the stage for, okay, what can we capture? At what stage can we capture it? so we can make very valid decisions on where we want to source, how we want to produce, and then how we want to actually get our customers involved. Uh, so that's, no, it's, it's very interesting because I think that end-to-end that -end value chain you, you mentioned is, is really the key to this, this whole circular economy. Yeah, I, I mean, just to, um, to comment on that, I mean, to, to, to Emite's point of, um, standards and compliance and again putting the comparison to you know IRFS standards and gap standards for us in the US and how to manage your you know accounting it is just evolving you know what are the global standards of how yeah. to measure what are our you know new currency what's our new unit of measure and that's how I'm looking at it so when we, we absolutely are following the United Nations uh, sustainable mm -hmm. development goals, you know, I, I've been really focused on climate, uh, climate change and, you know, UN SDG 13, and then really looking at United Nations kind of how do you manage scope one, scope two, scope three, I won't go through that in any detail, but, you know, scope one, I look at just the, 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 the basics, you know, what type of energy usage, where, what, 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 where is our supply chain with our vendors? You know, what, are, what is that raw material? And then stamp it into our material masters. Well, how does that get embedded? You know, SAP did launch, launch you know, recently their SAP product carbon footprint solution where you're able to embed that and, you know, look at some of the disparate environments to bring in, you know, what, what is that debt? Some of the work that I've been working with and, and focusing on and, you know, leveraging some of the SAP BTP solutions is really trying to integrate all these potential data sources, you know, what chemical, what are that emissions per, per kilogram? Um, what, what is that? And again, some of the aspects of scope one, scope two, and scope three, you know, how do you, what kind of sensors, how do you actually measure that? You know, is it, are we going to, you know, integrate with some of the IOT sensing devices or are we relying on kind of external standards uh, very similar to like syndicated data back in the day, you know, that this chemical is measured that. So there's a lot of different data sources that we want to be able to integrate via CPI or APIs, these three or four or five potential different data sources for the same chemical. And then from there, use our kind of like a, a technology neural network data hub, where we're basically either one to look at different ranges of if you use this methodology, it's going to be this type of carbon emission. If we combine it, or are we averaging those into this material? Either way, I want to be able to give a directional saying, hey, it's a no-brainer, go with this one with high confidence level. 
And again, using a lot of uh, you know, econometrics and statistics to, to use that, you know, using, you know, automated machine learning aspects to, to tell you, well, this is better than not. You know, nothing is going to be exact right now, and we all have to mature in the process. But again, just embedding that into the process, you know, MIT, to your point of um, the transportation, inbound and outbound transportation, you know, those are all the, kind of the building blocks of how to manage that, that process. And, you know, over time, we're all going to become much more mature. And I'm, I'm finding some companies very mature. And, but the high majority of companies are really just focusing on scope one and scope two and in, in their designing. And there's some major, major things we can do to, to help that, or at least I hope we can help that. Yeah, I think we definitely can. And, you know, from my software background, even you know, we're building everything in the SAP BTP platform. And it just seems to start to make a lot of sense with all these disparate data sources that you that you mentioned, Edmund, around, you know, where where is my LCA data coming for these type of products? Or what's my CO2E for what we've measured in this raw material? It, there didn't seem to be in our research, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there didn't seem to be like a central repository for any of those types of things. And that's where something you know, as as cloud-based, as as open as SAP BTP could really possibly come into play there, where we can capture things from a lot of different areas to make sure that all of that is together and we're making decisions on the best data that we possibly can. And I'm finding that, you know, GRI is probably becoming, you know, the, the leader in this space as far as kind of accreditation and, and kind of standards behind uh, how, how this is measured. So I think that's really one of the first, first, first organizations we're aligning to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as we started out, it, it starts with kind of the, the heads of state down to there's very, mm -hmm. you know, SAP is of course one of the most active organizations in, in, in leading and enabling companies. But again, you know, a lot of policy, a lot of decisioning behind it is key. And then the, the standardization behind, you know, what we're, we're coming. But I'm going to contend there's going to be multiple data points to make the decision. So just like, you know, are we looking at it based on this parallel ledger kind of concept where, you know, we're looking at it from this type of methodology. But if we flip it to this side, it's it's a, it's a parallel view. Of it. And I think that's some of the, you know, again, you know, the capabilities that that we all need. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, I want to bring, no. oh, go ahead, Emete. Okay, yeah, I just wanted to um, highlight more on the issue of um, um, on the topic of reporting, because like um, Edmona has mentioned, we have several um, reporting um, bodies. And I believe as we go forward um, in on this journey, uh, we need to harmonize this uh, reporting body. So for example, um, in Europe and I would say most parts of Africa, a lot of us um, use the GRI um, reporting um, tool. And um, from time to time, it's, um, um, you start, it, it, it's evolving. And um, if, for example, I'm um, um, operating in America, would that um, tool be accepted? And even when you look at, uh, for, at um, quoted um, stock exchange, or rather um, stock exchanges, um, in their quest to make sure that um, corporates uh, become more sustainable, they have different guidelines for um, companies to um, comply to. So for example, the guidelines at the New York Stock Exchange would may be different from that of the London Stock Exchange. And 
Um, we need to harmonize this uh, reporting um, tools. And I think that's one of the things that the United Nations Global Compact is uh, working on so that they would have a reporting tool that everybody can um, use um, going forward. So we hope that when this is launched in the nearest future, I think sometime next year, then um, we can say, okay, this is perhaps the um, global standard. Yeah, that makes sense. I actually didn't. I didn't know that that each stock exchange had, you know, possibly different rules and different different techniques of of looking at all this. So it's good that that you know we're taking that on from more of a collective perspective. That's great. Um, so, yeah, go ahead, David. Yeah, yeah. May I uh, add a you know word to that uh, what uh, Emmett said? And it's it's um, quite important, as you said, Emmett, that uh, we sort of converge around some common set of standards. Because what I have observed uh, in the last couple of years in our part of the world, where a lot of the production happens, right? It's not just China, but Southeast Asia, South Asia, everywhere. Um, so the, the, the choice of that reporting framework is led by the brand donors in Europe, generally in the West. And there are very sort of powerful subgroupings within that. So some of the large production uh, entities in, in printing as well as various other um, um, product uh, vendor uh, uh, facilities, uh, they are kind of forced to comply to more than one. So you may have a big customer in UK who wants something and somebody else in uh, the US wants something else. So yeah. the good thing is that it's vendor driven. So the guys here uh, take the effort to learn what it is and implement it. But the problems they have is that there aren't enough resource people in this region yet to properly advise them. And there is a great need is coming up. But on the other hand, it will definitely help if there is some convergence that begins to happen now. Because as we, as you know, many of you said here, uh, there's quite a lot of um, uh, overlap already, right? And we are beginning to see that. And as they expand their scope, we actually see more and more overlap. So that will help the, the production enterprises uh, in this part of the world greatly. Yeah, and it's you know sticking with the more of the data and analytics topic here. It it really it really makes sense to attempt to be collective about this, right? It's not a you know we're a North American based company and here's how we operate versus here and we're in you know an Asia Pac based company and here's how we operate and here's how we track these statistics. It's it, it's a good thing that that the UN is trying to look at this from a from a larger perspective to say, look, here's some global standards that we can all get accustomed to. And, you know, in, in speaking to some of that, those reporting uh, capabilities, I think that's exactly where, where Edmund's starting to focus and to say, okay, here's what we've learned. Here's what we've researched. Here's what the UN is focused on. Here's how we bring some of those data and, and analytics pieces or KPIs that we can track into uh, all, all SAP customers, really. Yeah, there, that's a great point there. I mean, to again, there's standards, and then you know, bringing up the concept of banking is absolutely 
critical here. So, you know, if you're following the, the bond market right now, you know, there, there's a lot of new launches of sustainability measures and alignments around the bond market behind, behind this. So, so having said that, you know, you know there, there's trillions of dollars to be made for companies to become more sustainable. Uh, so if you're just looking at the profitability aspect and efficiency aspect, you, that, that's there. But, but, you know, going back to some of these reporting, you know, again, uh, really critical getting the data sources and compiling that again, the same, you know, the same version of truth still com comes into play here, right? But what do we actually need to file? What do we need to, you know, you know, spending a large part of my career in compliance? There's different standards across the world, different kinds of reporting, different views of the same data, right? So again, you got to get it right from the source. But in sustainability, companies are not just doing their, their traditional 10Ks and, and, and your income station P&Ls. Everyone is actually now going with the integration report. So if you start looking at, at least in the United States, the companies that are Fortune 500, they're actually publishing an integration report. And a big part of that integration report will be sustainability. So what I'll contend, some of the most com complicated parts of any kind of reporting um, is the disclosures, the exact disclosures, XYZ form and format and what type of data and kind of that, that, you know, the subjective objective aspect of those disclosures. So again, the, you know, getting these disparate sources, the, the view of uh, GSSB versus GRI perspective and, and having the appropriate disclosures is going to be absolutely critical in an integration that's embedded with social values. Um, executives of most companies are now compensated by how sustainability gets embedded in their process. So again, that, you know, that's kind of the best thing I've heard is that compensation's tied to the highest level to be act. So I think that's going to be a big, big driver for, for compliance in, in a sustainable world. Yeah, it's not just the executives that get um, compensated. I could um, remember um, a few years ago when we started um, embedding um, sustainability in our, in our organization, it was actually part of the um, work plan for a lot of um, executives. So your bonus is tied to it. But then it has moved from just executives. Now for young people, as part of uh, considering an organization to work for, they begin to ask questions with respect to um, what is your sustainability ambition? Uh, what are you doing with respect to um, climate change or with respect to people and the rest of it? So um, young people ask um, these questions and as a company, for you to continue to attract the right talent into your organization, um, information or disclosure on what you do in this aspect is very, very, very vital. And also um, consumers are becoming more enlightened on, um, about, about sustainability issues. So for example, for example um, brands are being forced to um, put on their labeling information as in that there's some um, chocolates now that you see clearly on that label that this is sourced from, um, child labor is not used in this um, process. And it's clearly indicated on that label. And more and more um, awareness is being created and people check um, for, for, for those things when um, they want to purchase. We might, it might not be um, 
100% now, but there's a movement that has um, started taking place. And for any forward-looking organization, you have to um, put processes in place to address both the climate, uh, uh, the environment, the social and the um, human rights um, goals. Yeah, I, I think, you know, as, as we, you know, as we go forward, I, I heard an interesting thing. So I, I had the chance to, to visit the, the App House Network in, in Heidelberg last week, and they, they actually added a, a new, new X, you know, there's user experience, there's customer experience, there's an employee experience. And then now they're, they, they put another one on the board, which was LX, and it's life experience. And I, I like that one a lot because it, it kind of came full circle into, okay, I'm an employee and I care and I'm having a great user experience and I'm having you know a nice employee experience, but I'm also living my life around this, right? I'm bringing that into my corporate culture and I'm, I'm bringing this decision-making from, you know, like exactly like you said, a young person's perspective is very, very worried about the future, which we, we all are now. And so this is, makes it such an important topic and such a, such a great topic to, to talk about. And, and the interesting thing there is, is young people all over the world, right? It's not the young people in the West or the developed countries, but every single country, because there is very little difference between the um, 20-somethings in our time compared to our parents or grandparents' time. So, um, and then uh, I can say that because as part of, um, you know, before Brandkey, the founders of Brandkey, we started a company called BMI back in 2008, and as part of that, I used to do uh, factory audits in different countries. So I've done, I think, about 40 factories in eight countries, um, including like Europe, like Spain, Italy, and so on. And then uh, Pakistan, Bangladesh, even Turkey on this side, um, Indonesia. And it's the same. And what I, would, I usually like to do is during the lunchtime, I try to grab... Uh, the people in quality department and production heads and all and sit for lunch with them and then sort of chat them over. And I find MHA what you said exactly. You know, they, uh, they are solidly looking at, uh, you know, that is this the company that I want to work for? Uh, they value it uh, quite well. I've seen it all over from Indonesia to all the way up to Spain and Italy, right through Turkey and all those places. Yeah. Um, well, all, I mean, I, I think this is a great place to kind of wrap up for today. This is a, this is, you know, an amazing topic. I've had such fun talking to you all about it. I think we could, we could probably go on for another couple hours here. We'll, we'll let our listeners uh, uh, have a little break here, but um, I, I would, I would, in, very much enjoyed to continue this conversation. We'll, we'll perhaps, you know, schedule a part two of this and even dig in a little bit deeper. But, you know, on, on behalf of me and, and Edmund, of course, love love chatting to you today. Thanks a lot. I'll, I'll let, you know, each person kind of give, uh, if you want to give a minute of a final thought on the topic and we can, we can say our goodbyes. I think Edmund, I'll let you go first. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's a, there's a new, uh, Paul's, Paulson, um, you know, he, he was the unit lever CEO chairman for many years and now really 
leading kind of this from an executive coalition of some of the largest companies there. So I, I like seeing all the large companies' leadership make this a priority. And then I also, you know, again, being here in Seattle, you know, we have, uh, you know, the, the Gate, Melinda Gates and um, uh, Bill and Megan Gates Foundation and some of the things with breakthrough energy and, and where, where that's going. So, again, you know, getting a global movement is absolutely critical, but there has to be new innovation to have a chance. So, you know, when you look at these, the media out there, it, it, it's, a, it's very scary. And some of the things we can do with just existing technology is, only, is not enough. Um, so we're hoping our, our the young young children and young young folk are going to innovate constantly because that we absolutely need it. David, how about yourself? Yeah, um, I'm um, as Edmund said. Um, I do hope that uh, innovation will continue, especially uh, with the young generation, because they uh, they I would say believe that this can be done more than people you know, of my generation do, um, that this is doable. Uh, so that's a good thing. Um, and one other thing that I noticed, because um, I'm again thinking back to when I started with SAP implementation back in 2006, compared to that time, the cloud technology that eventually came to maturity is there. The tools are there. And uh, in our company, uh, Branky, we are, you know, while I'm involved in, with others, building a system of um, reporting that we discussed. Uh, so we are trying to create a very wide platform where all kinds of reporting methodologies can be accommodated at the moment. The great thing I see is that the analytics tools are available, they are cheap, and we have a new generation of people coming in, believing that this, this is doable. Um, so I, I would say there is a great role for some of us who have been in the industry to mentor and develop those talents. Um, I'm also um, thinking to a, a documentary that I saw recently when, um, um, when Apollo 11 was successful, Mm -hmm. uh, somebody looked at the average age in mission control and generally in NASA and it was I think 23 or 24 years uh, because uh, they could do it because they believed that it's, it was possible and they did it and that's probably you know people grow older you know they might become cynical and they know too many things that can go wrong and all that so I echo very much what you said uh, Edmund that uh, uh, this is doable in our lifetime and uh, um, hope uh, we will see that unrolling, especially with the governments uh, getting uh, together to uh, put the policies in place. Thank you. And uh, yeah, Amete, I'll give you the last word here. <laughs> okay, um, thank you so much. Okay, for me, um, for a last word, I would like to um, speak that... Um, Sustainability should be embedded as a um, part of doing the business. It should not just be um, a stand alone um, activity. So for every decision that um, we take as um, business leaders, we should look at um, the implication on um, sustainability. Uh, and as we go by, even as um, individuals in the little decisions we make, 
or we take in our personal lives, we should always ask ourselves, how does this um, impact on the environment? How does this impact on the society? And also how does this um, impact on the um, people around me? Because um, um, like they say, little drops of water uh, mix an ocean. So um, on this journey, little steps together collectively will make us um, achieve great results. And um, speaking about and technology as well, um, we should continue to embrace the um, technology and also see how we can use um, technology to drive some of these um, initiatives that um, we carry out. Thank you. It's a beautiful way to say it. Thank you so much. Um, I think that does it for us today. Yeah, thanks. Thanks again, everyone, for listening to the Mindset Nebula, and we will be back soon with, with some more great guests. Thank you again, everybody. We'll talk soon. Thank you.